I actually found out my mom fell asleep at possibly the loudest concert in history, like literally. And it really? Was a, it was a Kinks concert. And my, mo- my mom was like, I don't know. She might have even been in the front, and she, but she was dead asleep because my mom was in nursing school and, like, literally just, like, was at school and worked at a hospital all day. And my dad was like, hey, want to go see the Kings? She's like, no, I want – I like sleep. Well, you're going to the Kings concert. And so there you go. She fell asleep. At, I think it was it was at least one of the loudest concerts in history. Wow, that's amazing. I'm the so I don't, I don't even any... consider that she saw them. I'm not even considering that she saw them because she was asleep the whole time. That's not fair. Well, my dad dragged my mom um, when she was nine months pregnant with my sister to see George Thorogood and the Destroyers. And then my sister flipped uh, in the womb, and she was like three weeks late. Thurgood flip, flips babies, you know? We should Big protest. <laughs> he, he, did, he didn't see this coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get it. Uh, Hello, listener. Welcome to Well, That's New, a show where we give you random facts about random things from the official source we were not allowed to use in high school, Wikipedia. I'm your host, Andrew. You can call me Grau. And joined, as always, my co-host, Aaron, but you can call him Mr. Bitches. That's me. Here I am. Hello. Hello. Uh, you know what? Good I'll, uh, morning. <laughs> I'll go first, because uh, we, we got off on a musical tangent. And, yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talk, tangent. talking about Alice Cooper, you know, oh. the guy that did Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally only know uh, School's Out for Summer, and that's where my knowledge of Alice Cooper ends. You know, actually, it's funny because, um, so we're talking about the album Killer by Alice Cooper. It's his fourth studio album. It was released in November of 1971. Um, if you do know anything about Alice Cooper, uh, the song Under My Wheels is on this. So that's kind of where, and Be My Lover, I think. Is, is, is that a I big mean, hit for him? Is that a big hit? Under My Wheels is. It's like School's yeah. Out and then Under My Wheels. Oh, okay. Much. Yeah, and I mean, Really, when we're talking about Alice Cooper, I mean, I have, like, the utmost respect for the guy because he got clean. Uh, he just golfs in Arizona now. <laughs> but, he, you know, he hire, he only hires, like, the best musicians, always has the best studio musicians in the world. Uh-huh. You know, he's a really I, I really just enjoy Alice Cooper. And, like, the, the dude gets it so much on so many levels. And, like, any mm-hmm. time I've heard interviews with him, he's, he's great. And believe it or not, where, up where I'm from, Alice Cooper actually DJs, a, like, a local radio show amazing yeah and he just plays like and he just plays like it'd be funny. i think it'd be funny if he just dj'd like bob dylan for an hour he's like this is actually what i listen to you um, know sorry it's and it's also not like he's self-serving either like he won't just play a bunch of his songs he'll play it, like that'd be funny he's like uh, all right it's the alice cooper hour you're here to listen to alice cooper i'm alice cooper just has like really great insight too about like oh he's like oh yeah i was on tour with like ozzy and blah 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 and like i remember blah, blah, blah. he's like all these really great stories and i'm like man that's just that's cool the guy like lived it and he's like still alive and shit and, mm-hmm. um 
but yeah, so basically this is his fourth studio album because um, for those of you that don't know Alice Cooper, he, he'd been around since like the 60s. He was the first guy uh, besides like, he's in the very same David Bowie vein of like, mm. oh, making a show of the of the music, not just the music itself. It's like the whole show. And so he did like the makeup. Yeah, you know, and, what, yeah, makeup and stuff, yeah. Makeup, you know, pyrotechnics. Like he was like the good version of what mm. Kiss unfortunately became. I'm not Ugh. a Kiss can we never bring up Kiss ever again? Will like, be the last time. K- Kiss is banned in this household. <laughs> they 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 bring the they bring the worst to the to the Jewish the long line of Jewish musicians. Oh yeah, but you know, I guess Jews would be happy that they made it rich. So there's always that. But at what cost? At what cost? Cost. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so just a, just a cool note uh, first for, for Killer. Uh, Cooper said in the liner notes of A Fistful of Alice uh, and In the Studio with Redbeard were spotlighted the Killer and Love Love It to Death albums, which is the album that uh, preceded it. The song Desperado was written about his friend Jim Morrison, who died the year this album was released. For those of you who don't know who wow. is, which why are you listening to this if you don't know the former lead singer of The Doors? He was a jerk, yeah. but died, uh, you know. Good. The jerk, and he died. But, you know, you know, they did have some good songs. You know, if you really, it's crazy too, because I remember when I first started getting at the doors, I was like, Dad, like, this is really cool shit. He's like, Yeah, this was like early 60s American. Yeah. I was like, What? He's like, Yeah, it was like the first time was like 64. I, I, I don't know if I've told this story. I feel like I have, but if not, I'll just make it quick. Uh, my, my uncle actually got to see the doors live, and actually, that. That album actually, that album, like the live album came out of that specific concert he went to. But, oh, yeah. But, but the funny thing was is that they were actually opening up for Simon Garfunkel, and uh, Simon Garfunkel fans weren't very receptive to the doors. So, uh, anyway, it was like a whatever concert. At least, like, you know, maybe it sounded great, but like the people that were there weren't having a good time. But, uh, I- they got to their last song, and they're like, all right, this is the end. Everyone's like, yes, this is the end. Fifteen minutes later, is this the end? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually, I, in college, I, I re, uh, uh, fell in love with The Doors because everyone had that stupid... Uh, the poster, Moore. yep. There was like two posters just, of them, but yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah. No, he's just he just rhymes nah. a couple whatever. I mean but, I just I, I don't particularly love Jim Morrison. I just think he fit into the group. That's just oh, yeah. and I mean it, so I, I really felt re-fell in love with them because I, that's when I was getting into jazz and kind of like a lot of like if you don't grow up listening to jazz as much there are certain groups in the sixties that kind of like really bridge that jazz rock gap and it's at a very surface level. The doors were kind of this like West coast, cool jazzy sort of thing. And I remember just like, like I was so confused. I was like, dad, where's their bassist? He goes, they don't have a bassist, especially like they, they did for the recordings. But for the most part, he's like, just watch the B3 players uh, left hand. And I'm like sitting there transfixed watching them play light my fire. And I'm like, these guys were so ahead yeah. musicians musicianship wise jim morrison's bringing them down fuck that guy yeah (laughs) yeah Um, but the thing is that he actually brought a lot of the music ideas so 
Yeah. They, they just brought them to life, you know? 100%. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I would say that I'm a Doris fan. I would say that, like, I, I own a bunch of their vinyl. I, they just have, they just have, like, good, pleasant music. And yeah. even there's stuff that, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, of the later years when Jim was just a fat asshole. <laughs> And he really, he just wanted to be fat and sing the blues, and he was pretty yeah. good. So, um, he was pretty good at it. Uh, uh, I, just, I, I just always love, I just love the song L.A. Woman. It's just like, uh, it's a great summer track, you know? Great summer track. I mean, Break On Through, I still think of Oh, of course. Cool. I think that's that's the song that turned me on to the doors. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> oh. oh, also, also, I don't know if you've heard this, but Al Green does a fantastic version of Light My Fire. See that that that's one of those songs that's a cover song that like they take a song and they just completely make it their own. And who yeah. knows? Like this, if you didn't know the the door song, you would have no idea that it was the same song. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. Al Green just makes a freaking amazing Al Green song. You know that? Um, I'm a huge Al Green fan. Huge Al Green. Me too. Are you kidding me? Al- He's got a zillion albums too. So good. And then he came back years later and did an album with. Quest love. I just met you just the other day. Like in 2010. And it's freaking. Woo! Excuse me. Pardon. Excuse me. I thought you're a preacher. You're not allowed to talk like this. I yeah no actually in uh, in undergrad um, I really we um, I was like kind of trying to do like this experimental like jazz trio thing which wasn't experimental but we were trying to do we were trying to learn the song Riders on the Storm but do it sure. just like instrumental jazz because that's kind of what it is it's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let's get back to Alice Cooper. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we went all big, big door, doorsy go. So yeah, so uh, they're just mentioning some more of the songs. Halo flies, uh, according to Cooper, was the was the band's attempt to perform like King Crimson, like prog, prog, progressive rock suites. Um, and uh, their song "Dead Babies" stirred up oh. some controversy. You know, uh, despite the fact that the lyrics conveyed an anti-child abuse message. So. Uh, don't judge a song title by its title. Title, title. but um, <laughs> I'm a huge King Crimson guy. I, it's actually kind of fun when. Like, oh yeah, of course, I, they're brilliant. My uncles, my uncles, and my dad are like, oh yeah, we love King Crimson and like Emerson, like and Palmer. I'm like, hell yeah. Why did we listen to? Because. Great, let's figure out that we can listen to that. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, I mean, for the most part, uh, the critical reception um, from Rolling Stones, Lester Bangs, great last name, Lester Bangs, wonderful <laughs> Bangs, uh, favorable review, brings all the elements of the band's approach to sound and texture to a totally integrated pinnacle that fulfills all the promise 
of their erratic first two albums. I, uh, I, I like that the first line of the influence is uh, John Gura and the Sex Pistols and Public yeah. Image Limited. Do you ever listen to Public Image Limited? I have not. <laughs> They're much more of like uh, weird, angry, post-punk. Like, it's really cool. They, but then, like, they become, like, kind of happier as their uh, as their career goes on. Um, yeah. But I, I love them. They're a great band. So I would highly recommend, uh, yeah, listen to the Public Image Limited. Uh, just don't be ready for something easy most of the time. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, this is this charted, you know, 21... Um, you know, it, it. I mean, you're talking about Under My Wheels. I mean, that's, that's. I think, one of Alice Cooper's bigger hits. You know, it's Alice Cooper's an, an influencer. You know, he's an influential guy. Um, I. It's really funny. If you ever get a chance to go to the Phoenix uh, Musical Instrument Museum, the MIM, I highly recommend it. They have, um, like, a musician's floor. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but they, you know, they they'll like talk about musicians like they have a big thing for Elvis Presley and you know blah 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 blah. But then, of course, because Alice Cooper is from Arizona, they have this huge Alice Cooper exhibit. It's pretty cool. Uh, cool. You know, I just you know I thought this would be an interesting sort of you know way to especially because we're talking about music. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the influence goes all the way that a Minneapolis rock band, Halo, uh, Halo Flies, took their name from the song. And, you know, Psycho Billy musicians Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper cover the song Be My Lover. So, you know, if you never check out Psycho Billy, I highly recommend it. I actually really got into Rockabilly because, um, because um, one of our teachers from college started the Rockabilly band. Oh, nice. I actually got to see oh. them live. They were really good. Well, one of my favorites that I could think of offhand is a, they're also like kind of punk psychobilly. They're called the Cramps. I don't know if oh, you ever listen to them. Absolutely not. They're fucking awesome, especially Human Fly. The, it's the fir- I think it's the first song off their first album. Holy shit, it's great. Because what's cool about them is that they then uh, some of the musicians went off. And I know one of them became part of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds which uh, I'm a huge fan of. Um, so yeah, Nick Cave is the man. And he, he and he's still making music. He's lost literally everything in his life, and he still Don't makes make. music. He lost his what? wife. He lost his son. Like, make- within, like, a year. Like, Ooh. and, like, man. And this guy, like, he, like... Oh, man. I don't even want to pull it up because I'm going to start crying. But there's, like, this letter someone wrote to him about, like, how to deal with your pain. Ugh. Just look it up. Just look I it will. up. Um, so, uh, before I end, yeah. big big line that I missed. Uh, additional guitars under my wheels and yeah, 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 is Rick Derringer. You know who that is, right? Yeah. That's really random, but I love it. For those of you that don't know Rick Derringer, I'm not going to click into it because that's another whole, you know, well, click on it. We got time. Yeah, we got Where are we time. going? I mean, Where are we going? I mean, just, we'll talk about just for a minute. Just for a minute. Just for a minute. Just for because uh, you know Rick Derringer was like with Edgar Winter, Steely Dan, Todd Rundgren, Weird Al, Ringo Starr's Eleventh All Star. I mean, he's been with everybody. He's, I mean, he's just like those. He's just the guy. Like he was with the McCoys. Yeah, he's producer on. and he wrote a lot of songs. Yeah, I mean, hang on, hang on, Sloopy. I, 
there's still be hang on. And he, oh yeah, his major hit is the rock and roll hoochie you know. Rock and roll hoochie Oh my God, he also helped record Eat It and Fat by Weird Al. That, that already makes him, uh, you know, a hero in my heart. I mean, this dude has, he's, he's my dad's been age. everywhere. Yeah, he's just been everywhere, did everything. Uh, you know, Rick, I mean, Rick Derringer really like, he's, he's a hot ass guitar player, or as my dad would say, hot shit guitar player. He's just, mm. he's just been around. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of, mm. we don't have to get into it. I just wanted to let the people know just for a second who we're talking about. He uh, produced Rick. Uh, he, he wrote and produced um, make love out of nothing at all from Air Supply and buying Tyler's total clips of the heart. What? And he recorded guitar parts for Meatloaf's, uh, you know, poorly received album, uh, Midnight at, at the Lost and Found. But oh my God. See, That's he's crazy. Just, seriously, you know what? Just, I, we could totally do a whole nother podcast just about Rick Derringer's career. But <laughs> Killer, um, it's got some really good hits. That's coming to Stitcher Premium. Boom. <laughs> I'm going to stop sharing. Um, yeah, good good way to kind of get us into it. And we got to talk about the duas. The duas. Well, well, I got something a little more interesting to talk about. Cooper's Hill, or Cheese Rolling, and Wake. There are things I understand in that title, but I... I mean, it's really self-explanatory. Duh. Uh, anyway, it, it's... Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, th- yeah. There's a cheese injuries page. We're gonna get there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Injury page. There, there's, there's a, there's a section, uh, but we're 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 not there yet. Um, Made it. It basically it takes place in. Um, it's a tradition in Brockworth, Glorkenshire. Um, <laughs> that that's a real hard one to say. Uh, it's in England. It's uh, it's like in su- like in the middle of southern England, somewhere okay. around there. But it's not all the way south. But who cares? Um, now uh, it it takes place. So format uh, from the top of the hill, a seven to nine pound, which is also three to four kilograms. Round of double yep, Gloucester cheese is rolled down the hill. For a length of Great. 200 yards. Competitors then start racing down the hill after the cheese. The first person <laughs> over the finish line at the bottom of the hill wins the cheese. That's I love it. it. I, I, I mean, if honestly, if I started a tradition, it would be this. It would be cheese rolling. It would be somehow someone wins cheese. <laughs> it speaks is- to me. Why is that not more of the prizes? Why is this? Why don't we do this here? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's my real problem. Where's uh, my cheese rolling Olympic event? Where's my cheese rolling? Where's my monkey buffet? You know, <laughs> uh, that's a callback in case anyone else has listened to this podcast before. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, comparators are aiming to catch the cheese. However, it does not. Uh, it does not have around a one-second head start and can speed up to 70 miles per hour. That's some serious... That's some serious heat on that cheese. Oh, man. (laughs) I didn't even know cheese could ever go that fast. (laughs) That is some 
unless you know it's what? unless it's the cheese on my cheeseburger that I'm racing home to eat. Whoops, <laughs> whoops, uh, and it's enough to knock over injure a spectator. Uh, I mean, if you're not going to cheese related event, bring a damn helmet. Oh, uh, 2013, they they exchanged the cheese for for mica for safety. Oh, why you gotta change tradition? Why you gotta? Why you gotta shit on me like this? Why you gotta shit on me? Why you gotta shit on the things I love? Why are you um, Let's see. This original this uh, ceremony originally took place each Whit Monday. I've never heard of that because it's I'm not Christian. Uh, <laughs> it's a holiday celebrated the day after Pentecost, a movable feast in the Christian calendar. Do you know? Have you ever heard of this Whit Monday? You know, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not Catholic. So. Okay. Uh, I, uh, whoops! I didn't know that. So uh, anyway, uh, before later, it was moved to Spring Bank Holiday. Oh, nice! Spring Bank no. Holiday. Uh, all right, this is stupid. Who cares about what they're selling? First written evidence of cheese rolling is found from a message written by the Gloucester Town Crier, a town crier. Someone who's like, ah! Uh, well, it's this town is in trouble. Uh, uh, the cheese rations are down. <laughs> uh, all right. The, the town crier in 1826, even though it was apparent that the event was an old tradition, each year the event became more and more popular with contestants coming from across the globe to compete or just simply watch. I I think we know where our next live event is gonna be at a cheese rolling event. We'll just do a we'll just do it. Or or like if well that's new ever has live shows that will be an event either beginning it beginning the show or after the show. I think that I know too bad. I mean, I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about let's say a year from now. You know what? I think we got it. We got the we got the the know how. We got the we got the juice. We got the juice. Hey, I got some. I got juice. I got juice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Due to the steepness and uneven surface of Cooper's Hill, there are usually a number of injuries each year. (laughs) So, are are we talking about injuries from the cheese itself? From the cheese. Because only in 2013 has it been changed. This has been happening since it doesn't even say when it's been happening. I guess, I guess, I don't even know. Since I guess since 1826, but it says it's even older than that. So for over 100 years, people have been hurt by cheese. I mean... Nearing 200 years, people yeah. have been hurt by a 70-mile-an-hour wheel of cheese. Why are we not talking about... These are the statistics I need. The, these are the statistics that I have in my notebook. I don't know what type of information you keep in your notebook, but this I, is what I keep in my notebook. This is what I keep in that Hold on, mind. hold on. Uh, let's see. Cooper's Hill cheese rolling was summarized by a previous participant as 20 young men chasing cheese off a cliff and tumbling 200 yards to the bottom where they are scraped by, scraped up by Paramax and packed off to the hospital. <laughs> well, then. Uh, all right. Well, I think I... Well, we could also go through the winners, but who gives a shit? Because who knows who these people are? Um, I mean, that's... Uh, honestly, I think that... We, I mean, I should... love... 
uh, I'd love definitely a trophy from this. But. I would love to meet someone who's won it. Yeah, well, the last one was Max McDonald and Ryan Fairley and Flo Early. Wow. wow. Flo Early is – they don't even know, but that's a hip-hop name. They just don't know. Oh, Flo Early sets a new all-time record of four, uh, four oh, wins. Yep. All right, well, well all on – we got cheese rolling in popular culture. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, come on now. Uh, I thought I was done, but I wasn't done. You, uh, you're not done. In the children's game Neopets, uh, <laughs> there's one called Cheese Roller. And wow. they're, okay. Well then. Oh, they even have the game in it. That's weird. Um, cheese Rolling is also <laughs> prominently featured in the first episode of the UK television channel 5 series, Rory and Patty's Great British Adventure. <laughs> I'm not gonna watch that. And it's also an ER episode. What? Oh, That's. I guess they ran things well, to do. Well, I get you know ER. You know, if once it's on season fourteen, like what do we? What haven't we talked about? I guess cheese rolls. I guess someone like read, read an article about cheese rolls. They're like, just put it in. We don't. We we got ten dead ten uh, uh, dead air pages. Seriously. Throw some cheese in there. They did have it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I love that show. Oh, nice. I've never listened to it, but I know it's very, very popular. It's um, before, before all the stuff came out about uh, Garrison Keillor being creepy. Uh, mm. That was like our Sundays after church. Because we'd drive home, listen to Wait, Wait, the end of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and then hear, and then listen to uh, Prairie Home Companion. Mm. Sounds very wholesome, except not anymore. Except um, Garrison Except that guy. All right, we're we're done with cheese rolling. What what are we on to next? So, um, I actually have uh, you know this is something that I guess I more or less was like this is just really interesting because I had no idea about this. Uh, this is called the Battle of I think it's Kona or Kana. Um, did, uh, basically, uh, for those of you that don't know, there there has been a Mali war since like 2012 there's been like a huge like just for those of you that don't know it's in west africa uh, let me just check mali the republic of mali is landlocked country in west africa mali is the eighth largest country in africa and i believe it's still as under like french protectorate or something like that, uh, france- that yeah 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 especially yeah a lot of also stuff in like north africa that happens in too yeah, so this is basically the, the Battle of Kona or Kana. Uh, it was a conflict that happened in uh, 2013 as part of like the longer series of the Mali War that's been going on since 2012. There was a coup. Uh, there was a foreign intervention stage. And it's, I mean, it's still going on today. There was another coup. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So um, basically, this, I'm just going to kind of, kind of go through this a little bit. Uh, yeah. So basically the fighting, uh, this, this was the first, uh, you know, the, of the French engagements in the intervention of the Mali War. So this is like right during that foreign intervention pay, phase. Um, the fighting began when rebel fighters disguised as passengers on a public bus infiltrated the town of, of Kona, Kona. It's spelled like Kona, like the coffee, but then there's two N's. Yeah. Some, like that. I'm not going to yell at you about it. I mean, if you're from Mali, you can yell at me. All right, hit us in the DMs, Molly. 
the bus was stopped at a Malayan army checkpoint on the outskirts of Kana. The soldiers entered the bus to search, search it for Islamists, Islamists. So for those of you that don't know, there's a lot of issues in Africa in general between um, different Islamic factions of, of, uh, of African people and also against Christians. It's just a whole mess. Um, after several hours, oh yeah, uh, and they, they searched for the Islamists and opened fire, killing soldiers. Additional rebels poured into the town after several hours of fighting the uh, Malayan army uh, uh, was routed to the base, abandoning the town to the rebels who of reportedly leaving several heavy weapon, like heavy weapons and armored vehicles behind. Around 25 Malayan soldiers were killed. An estimate of about 1,200 Islam, Islamist fighters advanced within 20 kilometers of Mopti, a Mali military base. Uh, the battle ended in a victory for the Malayan government and France with rebel fighters ejected from the town. So, you know, it's, it, we just don't hear about these things, especially like during those years. I mean, we're, we were, it was, you know, we were, yeah, we weren't asked to be in it at all. I think I had never heard anything about mm-hmm. this or about the coup. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically that's kind of that's what happened. I mean, there's a lot more that you can read about it. Uh, the battle itself, there's a lot that kind of went on. Um, and there's, like I said, there's also a, a larger sort of uh, Malayan or Mali war timeline that you can read about. Honestly, I would recommend if, you, if you're interested in any sort of um, th- this, you know, conflict for whatever reason. Because uh, also, I know this is like maybe a little tongue in cheek, but like what happened to like what happened to like Islamists? Like, did they just go away because of COVID? Cause like we don't really talk to them anymore. I don't know. Uh Oh, whoops. I mean, uh, whoops. don't ask me. That's all I have to say about that. But yeah. So, um, I will just end on a, on a, on a high note for this one. Uh, executions, <laughs> according to human rights so- watch, so, and soldiers, including five wounded, were summarily executed by Islamists during the capture of the city. According to local residents, several Islamist prisoners or suspects were killed by Malayan soldiers in military camps in Sevade, including uh, wounded taken in Kana. Witnesses evoke, in particular, a mass grave of 25 to 30 bodies or corpses thrown in wells. According to the Human Rights Watch, at least 13 people were summarily executed by Malayan soldiers and five others disappeared between uh, the 9th and 18th of January. So it's all sad. War is bad. And that's, that's, so now I you know that, there, that there's a Malayan uh, Bali war. Dope. Great. Love that. Uh, we did it. We did it. We're here. I'm going to talk about this movie. It's called Shin Godzilla. I don't know if you have heard of this movie. Um, yes. Did you see it? You saw it? Saw it, like, way back in the day. In 2016? Yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah. (laughs) That was only four years ago. It's not that far back in the day. Jeez, I was like, you make it sound like I saw it ten years ago or some shit. March 75th right now, okay? I don't want to hear about it. March 2075. (laughs) Um, Um, but yeah. You know, you know why I watched this because no. I think that I think that I think I had a friend say it was really, really, really good, and I was like, okay, let me check it out. And I remember really, really liking it because I, I think I, I loved it because it was, it felt, it had the kind it of felt so real. It feels so real, 
Like yeah. everything about it feels real. Like even just how the monster progresses feels real. And like, and the bureaucracy that goes into it feels real. So I don't know if you know this, but it was co-directed by the guy that made the anime Evangelion. That's where I recognize... Um, well, they use some music. They at least use one music cue from uh, Evangelion in the movie. I, I think they might just make it like an orchestral version, but it's the, but it's the same exact song. Um, yeah. So, but, like, that kind of feeds into... It's almost all part of the same... Like, it, it's like he's trying to take uh, messages from that and trying to inject into Shin Godzilla almost. Um, cool. Yeah, it's um, well. His name is Hideki Anno. Uh, he's the director. It's also done by this guy. I never heard of him, Shinji Hirokuki. Uh, let's see. Oh, he's best known for in the in the nineties. He did the Gamera trilogy. Oh, he did a Attack on Titan. Oh, okay. So and ta- okay. Oh yeah. So this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, oh, he's actually worked on. He worked on Kill a Kill. He's worked on the Evangelion movies. Okay, so this guy this guy knows what's going on. And I, Gunbuster. So yeah. Gun, Gunbuster is one of Hideo Anno's uh, earliest projects. It's one of my favorites of six episodes. The last two episodes will just make you cry. It's basically like the Earth is being attacked by like the giant bug creature monsters. And basically uh, there's so many of them that we decide to uh, just uh, not not just blow up their home world, but like put it put a black hole in the middle of their home world. Well, badass AF. Uh, but but uh, let's just go over the story. Basically, everyone knows that Godzilla, but um, you know, it's supposedly made from radioactive whatever, and uh, uh, he comes out of the ground and he's, and basically. Like, what makes it real is, like, at first he's, like, even just, like, he's, like, it's almost like he's reacting because he's scared. He's not reacting because he is a monster. It's because he's all of a sudden this giant monster dropped in the middle of Japan. What the the hell would you do if you were him? (laughs) And, like, even when when he stands the first time, his, like, legs break a little. Whoa. Like, Like, and also... Eh, I'll give away the ending. I don't give a shit. Did you? So, do you remember the ending? Uh, I do not. So, so like, uh, they they realized they couldn't really shoot him or throw explosions at him. The way they realized what they can do is that they have to freeze him. So oh. they so they have like these giant freezing things, and then you realize at the end, which is kind of like the end of the bad. Not newest, but newer, early two thousands Godzilla. That um, so, the, but I like this better because basically you see that Godzilla is actually asexual, and that it's basically these little creatures come off the end of its tail asexually, and and you could see that there were a few just about to come to life, but they were frozen. But it also makes you think, who knows? Maybe one got away. It kind of makes it a little bit open ended on whether they, you know, destroyed all the Godzillas, but, like, it was kind of cool, like, 
if they did save him, they saved the Earth within milliseconds of more Godzillas being produced, um, <laughs> which I think is pretty badass. Yeah, because um, the, the really bad one in the 2000s, like Godzilla laid eggs? Yeah, yeah. Oh, who, who did fuck? I'd like to know who did fuck. Uh, yeah. Who's fucking who, Godzilla? Excuse me. Who will be fucking yeah. Godzilla? Anyway, uh, it said that I was reading about this, that uh, this movie was a metaphor for the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, it also drew inspiration from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster. And remember uh, what was that? Remember that? That was a, a, a yeah. typhoon and an earthquake really fucked up Fukushima. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just kind of funny that like you'll see it's yeah. It says it's a satire of Japanese politics, um, hey. just because no one, no one, no one wants to take responsibility for what's going to happen. Like whatever decision happens, like it's kind of like the problem is that whatever decision you make, it's going to hurt people. Now it, it really comes down to how many people are are uh, is your plan going to hurt. It's going to hurt a minimum amount of people. But then who, who gets the blowback once it happens? And it's like, well, none of that fucking matters if the Earth is going to be destroyed or J- Japan's going to be destroyed by this giant monster. So, like, someone has to grow a pair of balls and make a goddamn decision. And, uh, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm curious, though. Um, I think they did, like, an infograph of, like, how big Godzilla's gotten since, like, the original, like... Uh-huh. And, of course... The one that they've remade for America twice, like that thing is way too big. But I wonder where this Godzilla ranks. Well, let's see if let's see if we can find how big Shin Godzilla is. Well, that might just be the length of the movie. Nope, it's not. It's not two hours tall. <laughs> oh, hold on. I think I found that chart that you were talking about. Oh yes, the one, uh, the Godzilla's height chart. So this is the 2016 one. So. It's actually, well, you know what? It seems like the 2014 and the 2016 one are actually the same size, except uh, the 2016 one is just standing straight up, opposed to, like, all of them are a little, like, hunched over about to, like, attack something. Yeah, the 2014 one looks chonky. Yeah, he's got, he's got a little too much going on, personally. Boy. Uh, but, but this kind of just shows you, like, the chart of it, how, like, you know... He didn't even. He, he almost looks like a Tyrannosaurus Rex because he's got like really short arms. It's all about really like his feet and his like being able to like shoot crazy awesome looking fire breath. Like when they got to do that, like I like that kind of looks. It kind of looks campy, but in a good way. Like it looks like we know what we're doing. We're gonna make it look like this. And it almost looks like right out of the old Godzilla movies, but it obviously looks a lot better. It's just they gave it that little bit of retro twist to it. Um, well, you got oh, wait, it. this is even crazier. Look how, look how big these are. Who, who needs that? Who needs that? Who needs this? Um, oh, so I just wanted to read this section about the music. Uh, Shiro Sagu- Sagusi. I'm sorry. Sagisu. Nagisu? Yeah. Nagisu. Uh, yeah. He, he scored the film. There's also various remixes of the song Decisive Battle uh-huh. from the Neon Genesis Evangelion score. The film was also took several pieces from previous Godzilla movies composed by Akira 
Ifku, uh, Ifukubi. Uh, I, yeah, I, think Ifu, that's- I think that's how you say it. Akira Ifukubi. Aneo also decided to use Ifukubi's music while writing the screenplay, attempted to adapt the old Ifukubi tracks to modern stereo settings, but the task proved too daunting and eventually settled on using mono mixes instead. Interesting. Yeah. I, I Sometimes you just kind of get lost in the sauce when it comes to making music. It can happen I mean, with any, any making any art. I mean, I, I can definitely recommend checking out um, Godzilla scores. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's actually a particular Godzilla movie I saw recently. Uh, oh, it's Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, also known as Invasion of Astro Monster, uh, I believe. Um, oh, no. Is it that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, this is it. Basically, what happens is that um, uh, Godzilla, Godzilla's attacking the Earth, and then these, like, uh, astronauts are checked. But, like, separately, there's these astronauts checking out this. <laughs> I, love, I love how you get away with stuff like this in old sci-fi, calling uh, a place Planet X. You know uh, what? They, yeah, Planet X. Planet X. Basically, what happens is that uh, Planet X, uh, the, there's people living on Planet X, and they take in uh, our astronauts and basically say, hey, we have, uh, we have our own monsters here. Can we, can we go to your planet, take Godzilla, and Fire. use him to fight our, the people on our planet? And they're like, yeah, I, yeah I guess. Uh, and basically what happens is that they mind control Godzilla and Rodin uh, to basically use, and then use their own Godzilla and use that against the earth to use it. Basically they basically want to take over the earth for like water, you know, like every other sci-fi. Where can we, where can we watch all this air? I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm pretty sure I watched actually this and Shin Godzilla. Uh, we're both on archive.org, whether they okay. should be there or not. That's where <laughs> they were. That's uh, I'm not, I'm not a police. I, I'm no police. I, I'm not snitching, but um, I have a feeling it shouldn't be there. But uh, uh, I actually plan on rewatching Shin Godzilla sometime soon because it's been like a year since I've seen him. So you know what? You we, just want you just want to throw on something you know is good. We should do a we should do a watch party together. Like we should stream us watching it and have oh, that. As oh, I'm I'm into that. That'll be part of the Patreon. Uh, yeah, because I uh, you know need money. Also, not to mention. I just want to say on an overarching thing, Godzilla has got to be one of my favorite franchises, even though they yeah. keep it up a little bit. Like it's just such a great franchise. And yeah. they, they have been doing it for such a long time. The so movie, long. And even the, the Godzilla animated show was really awesome. Uh-huh. Back in, that was like, I vaguely my- remember. I mean, I, I definitely watched it. I can't tell you. I mean, I guess I could tell you is I loved it when I was a kid. You know, know, the the two most... And I think they're both on Disney+, Plus. honestly, I think. Or oh, yeah. HBO Max. Um, the animated Godzilla show and the animated Ghostbusters show. I used to love the Ghostbusters show. Nobody asked for it, but they were so good. Yeah. Well, there was also, like, a Jackie Chan show. There was also the Men in Black TV show no one asked for. That was also good. 
that Jackie Chan show was so good. I feel, uh, yeah, as a kid, I love that. Yeah, I, big fan. Big fan. My mind, glad I didn't raise a hoe. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yikes. Um, anyway, I think we're done talking about Godzilla, so I'm going to head back to you. Hopefully Godzilla comes back, because I yeah. fan. Hell yeah. Uh, well, I yeah, I know that Criterion Collection re-released a bunch of the video a bunch of the movies in like a really beautiful box set recently oh interesting yeah you should check that out the 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 art for it is unbelievable all right so we are going to this is something that i believe it or not this isn't something that is i'm not going to say well that's new because i've actually heard about this on a true crime podcast jack Jack fiddler jack fiddler also known as and i'm gonna uh pretend to it's og cree um but it well, stands- that's a, just to tell you, it's a long-ass name with a lot of Z's and A's and W's. If I'm going to, I'm going to try Zauno Gizigo Gabo. That's as good as it gets, baby. Stands for he who stands in the northern sky. Southern uh, sky. Sorry, in the southern sky as Nasananin uh, or Mesnawitheno in Swampy Cree, meaning Silish man. Um, and was uh, it was a was an ojima, so it's the chief or shaman of the sucker dudum among the Anishaabi, which is northwestern Ontario. So that's a lot of words. Basically, Jack Fiddler was a, a chief and shaman for an Aboriginal tribe in northwestern Ontario. His arrest in 1906 for the alleged murder of a Wendigo before his suicide uh, and his suicide before trial marking the beginning of imposition of Canadian law on the sucker. Until then, Fiddler's people had been the, among the last Aboriginal peoples living in North America completely under their own law and custom. So I think I, you say it Wendigo. Wendigo. Wendigo? Oh, Wendigo. Wendigo. I think right. it's Wendigo. Where I heard this was um, on this true crime podcast called Dark Poutine. And it's just two Canadian oh, yeah. guys. They just, they just talk about crimes in Canada. And I heard about this. So for those of you who don't know, this goes a little bit into the folklore <clears throat> of the Native American people from North America, the indigenous people. Uh, the Wendigo, which also, if you watch um, Supernatural, that comes all the time. It's a mythological creature, evil folklore of the First Nations Algonquin tribes based in the northern forests of Nova Scotia, east coast of Canada, and the Great Lakes region of Canada and in Wisconsin uh, in the United States. The Wendigo is described as a monster with some characteristics of a human spirit who has possessed a human and made them become monstrous. Its influence is said to invoke acts of murder, insatiable greed, cannibalism, and cultural taboos against such uh, behaviors. And believe it or not, there is a controversial term that applies uh, to someone, I think, who doesn't have like a lot, who's like either like a synapsis and firing or like missing a bunch of um, vitamins from their system. It can get uh, terms this, when Wendigo psychosis described as, um, you know, a culture, a culture bound syndrome with symptoms such as having intense cravings for human flesh and fear of becoming a cannibal. So in some Ooh. indigenous, Communities, environmental uh, destruction and insatiable greed are also seen as manifestations of Wendigo psychosis. So basically, the Wendigo is kind of their ooky, spoopy, you know, sort of creature um, within the Algonquin people. <clears throat> you know, they, it's been around forever. It's it's very it, it's really interesting. You can get further into that. I don't want to go any further. But so basically, this guy Jack Fiddler. Killed yeah, let's actually get to him. He, 
Jack Fiddler was a was accused of killing a Wendigo, but in his culture, he's like, no, I'm the shaman. I killed this Wendigo. Like, save my people. And the yeah. aliens were like, nah, dog, you're arrested now. So he just killed someone, and he yep. said it was a Wendigo? Yep. <laughs> so so there, there's a little bit kind of to the people um, and, and in general and kind of the background of the situation. I'm just, you know... He was, so this guy, Jack Fiddler, was born in the, uh, you know, the Boreal Forest in the upper Severn Rivers near Sandy Lake, Deer Lake, and the Northern Spirit Lake. I believe that's just Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Northern Ontario. Um, his father was a mysterious figure from the East who adopted, who was adopted to the Sucker Clan during the previous century, uh, was respected as a political and spiritual leader. And I think it's interesting that their, their clan is kind of called the Suckers, but they're not Suckers. No. No sucking. Uh, no, but they were allied with the Pelican and Sturgeon clans, and they had uh, contact with the Cranes as well. Uh, the clans spoke a unique form of OG Cree dialect uh, that's, you know, and had contact with the Ojibwa at Lake Winnipeg. So that's just a bunch of mm-hmm. indigenous stuff. Uh, yep. And this is also during the time, too, that, um, that I... I believe there's just like more, more or less just like, you know, people losing a lot of their rights and stuff. Cause Canada by this time, I believe was, you know, all conquered, all imperialized by the British. You see things like Hudson Bay company, you know, which, you know, is the Hudson Bay company and whatever. Uh, so Jack Fiddler was a real player. He took five wives and had 13 children. Polygamy was common out of necessity. Uh, if for no other reason, as young men died uh, often in dangerous times. So you got to... Yeah, that's kind of how it was before the 1900s. It's like, well, it's only because my children will only live between the ages of one and 20. And so, so ha- have a bunch. I need a bunch to hoe, hoe my field, man. <laughs> I, I, I need to chill while they hoe. And there's actually a picture that you can see, and he looks like that man. That man fucks. That man fucks. <laughs> so... We're, let's get into the, uh, the, 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 the Wendigo and the arrest and trial and the aftermath. Bang, bang, bang. So, like his father, Jack Fiddler became a famous shaman for his alleged ability to conjure animals and protect his people from spells. Um, uh, most importantly to the people of the region, he could allegedly successfully defeat the Wendigo, a cannibalistic spirit that would possess people during all too frequent bouts of famine and disease. Like I said, you know, when shit goes wrong, people go crazy. Uh, in his life, Jack Fiddler claimed to have defeated 14 Wendigos. So he had he killed one more. So he killed 14 people. That's what we're going to say. Apparently, some were sent against his people by enemy shamans, and others were members of his own band who were taken with the insatiable, incurable desire to eat human flesh. In the latter case, Fiddler was usually asked by family members to kill a very sick loved one before they turn into Wendigo. In some cases, the Wendigo, him or himself, would ask to be euthanized according to necessary rites. Fiddler's own brother, Peter Flett, was killed after turning Wendigo when the food ran out uh, on a trading expedition. The uh, Hudson Bay uh, Company traders and Cree and missionaries uh, were well aware of the Wendigo legend, though they often explained it as mental illness or superstition. Regardless, several incidents of people turning Wendigo and eating human flesh are documented in records of the company. So, you know. Wendigos are, 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 are in the docket. 
Uh, Fiddler's reputation also grew among these groups as he was approached multiple times by Cree ministers at Island Lake and asked to bring Christianity to his people. Though he respectfully heard the request, Fiddler did not convert. By the beginning of 20th century, the Sucker people were the only indigenous people in North America living in tradition. So he was arrested. Uh, in early 1907, two members of the Northwest Mounted Police, Mounties, uh, visiting Lake Island had heard of Jack Fiddler's power against the Wendigo uh, from Norman Ray, uh, an in-law of the Fiddlers. Seeking to introduce Canadian law to the North, the Mounties went to Sucker Camp at Deer Lake and arrested Jack and Joseph Fiddler for the murders. Before leaving, they took an eyewitness and declared that each man must give up any extra wives. For most of the Sucker people, the Mounties were the first whites they had seen. So that must have been really scary. Weird. They're, they're white and they're imposing on us? What? The elderly brothers were uh, charged with murdering um, Joseph's uh, daughter-in-law the year before. They were held at Norway House to wait trial. Meanwhile, newspapers across Canada picked up the story and printed sensational headlines of murder and devil worship. According uh, across the country, people demanded convictions while the police uh, conducted the trial, uh, saw an opportunity for fame and advancement. September 30th, Jack Fiddler escaped captivity during a walk outside, and he hung himself and was found uh, dead later that day. Joseph Fiddler, however, uh, his, his brother-in-law was sent to trial, um, and, uh, you know, basically he's like, hey, I killed people that were incredibly sick and were not aware of Canadian law. Uh, pressed on the, Wend the Wendigo issue, Ray admitted that uh, it, it was sick among his people and that Jack and Joseph were the only ones usually asked uh, to euthanize the very sick, to prevent Wendigos. Despite some of the unreliable testimony uh, and the pleas of missionaries and the uh, Hudson Bay Company, Joseph was convicted and sentenced to death. Um, yeah. Imagine and on your deathbed you're admitting that you wanted to eat human flesh, so kill me. Exactly. So, um, you know, the aftermath, really, without the most prominent leaders, uh, basically, uh, the suckers were added to Canada and imposed under Canadian law. And, you know, today most of the descendants of Jack Fiddler live in Sandy Lake Nation uh, with other Deer Lake First Nation and Northern Spirit Lake First Nation. Wow. So, you know, long story so, short. Long story short, he killed 14 people that thought they were going to eat human flesh. Yeah, so, but it's, it's interesting too because, um, like, 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 yeah, like I said, this was the first time that, the, that they, these people had seen white people and then they were like, Oh, yeah, you can't do that. But they're like, but we don't know about Canadian law. It's like, well, now you do. Well, now you do, and now you're dead. Now you're dead. So, that, and that's how you learn. Well, that's new. I bet you they were like, well, that's What's new. new? <laughs> yeah. That's my last. That's my last. Yeah, I could choose one of two that I was thinking of, but let's, let's end on a light note. We're gonna, I got to the bad Santa quotes page. That, oh my God, that is one of my favorite movies of all time. I 100% agree. Uh, what, what I didn't realize re until recently, the guy that directed it, he's made a bunch of like movies I've seen, but I didn't, but they're all so different that you can't really believe that they're by the same person, you know? Because yeah. uh, this guy, Terry Zwigoff, so he's done. The thing, I've seen most of his stuff. He did uh, a really great documentary about the um, famous uh, cartoonist Robert Crumb, and the documentary is called Crumb. Unbelievable. It's actually also produced by David Lynch. So take okay. that with what you will. Uh, he also did a movie called Ghost World, which is 
fantastic comic turned into a movie. Uh, they did Bad Santa, which we're going to talk about, and they also did Art School Confidential. Another, I think that's also based on a comic, uh, but uh, another fantastic, fantastic uh, movie. Uh, but they're all just so different. There's like no, nothing about them that there's like a through line. This guy's just like, this is interesting. I'm going to make a movie. And then, he'll, and then he made Bad Santa, which is so like left field, but uh, one of the funniest written movies, the dialogue in that movie, unbelievable. I always think about... I always think about uh, this is gonna get a little mm, NC seventeen, but he. Uh, I remember that he. Um, well, the movie stars um, Billy Bob Thornton as a, as like a mall Santa, and Which, has he won an Academy Award yet? Because he's done so much good, he, so much good. I uh, meet. You know what? Me and Joe, we've talked on a previous episode about. Uh, I didn't know this, but he directed and also starred in uh, uh, Sling Blade. Pleasure to make you. I didn't. You can't even I, tell that's him because he puts on oh, like things in his cheek. Oh my god, it's great. Also, man. Jim. Also, the director Jim Jarmusch shows up in that movie. Uh, he sell. He's the one that sells uh, him French fries. Uh, oh yeah. It's it's a really funny scene. Um, but let, let, let's read some good quotes. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, you're an emotional fucking cripple. Your soul is dog shit. And every single fucking thing about you is ugly. I'm a, oh, yeah. That, that's, that's great. Um, let's see. Uh, I've been to prison once. I've been married twice. I've got drafted by Lyndon Johnson. I had to live in a shit-ass Mexico for two and a half years years for no reason i had my eye socket punched in my kidney taken out and i got a bone chip in my ankle that's never gonna heal i've seen some pretty shitty situations in my life but nothing ever sucked more ass than this uh if i'd known i was gonna be put up with some screaming brats pissing on my lap for days out of the year i would have killed myself a long time ago come on to think of it i still just might (laughs) God, while having sex. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. For a week. Yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. You ain't gonna shit right for a week. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, man. Such a great movie. And it's got, like, such, like, a random cast, but it works. Uh, It has uh, the late, great John Ritter is even in it. Oh, man. Bernie Mac. Yeah, Bernie Mac. I forgot that Bernie Mac died. Oh my God, that was so sad. Yeah, oh man. Bernie Mac, the only watchable part of fucking Ocean's Eleven, the remakes, is fucking Bernie Mac. 100%. 100%. I I mean, this, you know what's so crazy too? Like this this movie kind of came out at a really weird time because I I wasn't quite um, 17 yet, but everyone, of course, everyone else's parents let them watch it. It's like, oh, you got to watch it. It's such a good movie. I don't want to watch it movie about a Santa being bad, and then I watch it years later, I'm like, I have to watch this every year the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the only Christmas movies I will allow in my household. It's just so good, and um, yeah, I, I also think it has, I'm mistaken, I think the soundtrack is really good, too. Uh, I don't really remember. It's been quite some time since I've seen this movie. 
a lot of uh, original stuff, but it's oh, okay. like just just, like, just good you know, soundtrack music. Yeah, and also I kind of like too that it's in, it's filmed in that sort of two thousand like mid two thousands. Everything's kind of bright colors, even though it's kind of yeah. a dark. Everything it's it's very um, it's it's kitschy, but I like it. It's yeah. Just, well, the thing you know, all those things can be kitschy, but then the dialogue is so goddamn funny that yeah. you're, you're just that. That's what really got me. And everyone's back and forth is pretty fucking amazing. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, it's just ugh. <laughs> when I look at you, you know what I think? I think America has a sad future ahead of it. <laughs> <laughs> woof my Man. god alright well I thought that was a nice little way to end it um, and now it makes you want to watch Bad Santa I mean it's it's also the only Christmas movie I'll allow in the summertime <laughs> <laughs> that, no that's no seriously zero zero percent maybe Scrooge but we're really pushing <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm here with my friend Andrew. You can find us on Instagram at well, that's new underscore. You can find Andrew at Grow underscore music. Uh, you can find me at Aaron underscore Hockman underscore uh, to see yes. my art. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, uh, I love you. Yeah, go out, go out and learn something, you dingus. You dingus, I love you. Bye.